It's Thursday, September 29th, and this is Brian with the Morning News. Give us five minutes and we'll give you the headlines you need to know to be in the know. Hurricane Ian, one of the most powerful storms ever recorded in the U.S., swamped southwest Florida on Wednesday, turning streets into rivers, knocking out power to 1.8 million people and threatening catastrophic damage further inland. A coastal sheriff's office reported that it was getting many calls from people trapped in flooded homes. Desperate people posted to Facebook and other social sites pleading for rescue for themselves or loved ones. Some video showed debris-covered water sloshing toward home's eaves. The hurricane center made landfall near Cayo Costa, a protected barrier island just west of heavily populated Fort Myers. The Category 4 storm slammed the coast with 150-mile-per-hour winds and pushed a wall of storm surge accumulated during its slow march over the Gulf. The storm previously tore into Cuba, killing two people and bringing down the country's electrical grid. In other news, U.S. stocks swung higher on Wednesday, delivering an emphatic end to a week of punishing losses. The S&P 500 jumped 71 points as bond yields tumbled, leaving stocks looking more attractive to investors. The Dow Jones Industrial Average rose 548 points. Both indices had fallen for six straight days as of Tuesday, and earlier this week the Dow joined the S&P 500 in a bear market. The Nasdaq Composite rose 222 points. Bond yields swiveled after the Bank of England said it would begin buying UK government bonds in a bid to stabilize markets. In the U.S., the yield on the benchmark 10-year Treasury note briefly climbed above 4% for the first time in more than a decade, only to quickly slide back down. By the end of the day, the 10-year yield registered its steepest one-day drop since March 2009. Around the world, Iran attacked northern Iraq on Wednesday with more than 40 ballistic missiles and armed drones, one of which was shot down by a U.S. warplane as it headed toward the city of Erbil, where American troops are based, according to U.S. and Iraqi officials. The strikes were by far the largest and most deadly in recent days by Iran's Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps, which has carried out repeated bombardments of Kurdish areas in northern Iraq since last week after publicly blaming Iranian Kurdish separatist groups based there for encouraging unrest that has swept across Iran. At least 13 people were killed in the bombardment, including at least one pregnant woman, according to a statement by the Kurdistan Regional Government's counterterrorism force. Another 58 people were injured, including multiple children, according to the statement. The U.S. Embassy in Baghdad was looking into the possibility that a U.S. citizen was killed in the attack, a spokesman said. Back in the U.S., President Biden pushed to expand free school meals Wednesday as part of what he called a new national strategy to end hunger and increase healthy eating by 2030. The administration's attempt to stamp out hunger comes as rising food costs have become a political liability for Democrats ahead of this fall's midterm elections. Grocery prices increased 0.7% in August from a month earlier and 13.5% over the past year, according to the Labor Department. My plan would make at least 9 million more children eligible for free school meals, a major first step for free meals for every single student, Mr. Biden said at a White House conference focused on nutrition, hunger, and health. Politicians who said the White House had done little outreach to them ahead of the conference expressed skepticism about broadening federal nutrition programs, including free school meals. 
a program in place during the pandemic that allowed schools to serve free breakfast and lunch to all children ended at the start of this school year when lawmakers allowed it to lapse. And a renewable energy plant in Oregon that combines solar power, wind power, and massive batteries to store the energy generated there officially opened Wednesday as the first utility-scale plant of its kind in North America. The project, which can generate enough electricity to power a small city at maximum output, addresses a key challenge facing the utility industry as the U.S. transitions away from fossil fuels and increasingly turns to solar and wind farms for power. At maximum output, the facility can produce more than half of the power that was generated by Oregon's last coal plant, which was demolished earlier this month. Now you know, and you're ready to go with the morning news. Share this with a friend and subscribe to us wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. You can also sign up for our newsletter at themorningnews.com. Thank you for listening.